you very much. Good morning. You guys can take your seats. How are you this morning, church? Good. That is good. It sounds like you have some energy here this morning, which is exciting. Um, as always, I am so excited um, to have the opportunity to share from this platform. It is an absolute privilege, one that I don't take lightly at all. Um, but I'm excited to be here with you and even more excited for what it is that God wants to say to each of us personally and corporately this morning. So I hope you are as well. Um, we're going to launch straight in this morning uh, with the book of Genesis, taking it right back to the beginning. Genesis 22 verses 1. One to three, and this is what it says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Why don't we pray this morning? God, we thank you that you're here, that you're with us, not just in this place, but that we carry your presence with us wherever we go. And I thank you this morning that as we come around your word, that your spirit is speaking to us. And so we put aside distractions and we fix our eyes on you, knowing that you will speak. We open our hearts to receive your word this morning. Amen. So in Genesis 22, Abraham is faced with a pretty significant directive from God. God calls Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. Abraham's walked with God. He loves God. He's experienced the blessing of God many times. He's seen God work multiple miracles. He knows God's providence. He's personally experienced his blessings. Abraham's called by God to be the father of many nations. But Abraham has no children, and his wife, Sarah, couldn't conceive. And so this calling that God has given him is perplexing. You know, he's trusting God. And Abraham was 75 years old when God tells him that he'll be the father of many nations, that he'll have all these descendants. He was 75 when he first received that promise. But he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So there's a 25-year gap between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. But it comes to pass, and Abraham and Sarah are absolutely overjoyed. They're experiencing the joy of walking in the promise and the gift of God. But fast forward a couple of years, Isaac's a young boy, and God directs Abraham to take Isaac, his only son, the only child that he and Sarah have, and offer him as a sacrifice. It's a very ambiguous situation for Abraham. Isaac was promised to him. This was the blessing that he'd waited 25 years for. God had promised Abraham descendants, and yet he's being asked to sacrifice the only evidence that he has of that promise. It doesn't make sense. And yet Abraham doesn't argue with God. He doesn't beg and plead and question, God, why do I have to do this? Why have I got to do this? What's the purpose of this? What's going to come of all this? He doesn't question. Instead, he sets off early the next day. If anything, that's the day that you want to sleep in. That's the day where you find all the chores that you need to get done before you do that directive. But no, Abraham sets off early that morning, prepared to do what God's asked of him. Now, there's likely conflict within him. There's likely questions that he has. 
It's not an easy decision to make, but he doesn't procrastinate. He moves immediately to action what God has asked of him. Now, we know that God intervenes before Abraham makes the sacrifice. This was a test of Abraham's trust. But Abraham doesn't know this. Abraham doesn't know that God will speak before the knife's brought down. He doesn't know that God will, will, uh, will halt the completion of his offering. In his heart, he's already resolved to see it through. He's already demonstrated a willingness to do what it is that God has asked of him. The sacrifice has already been made. And so what we see through this story and what we see through the life of Abraham really is a beautiful picture of a life lived in surrender, a life surrendered to God. And it's this life, this life of surrender that we are also called to live as followers of Jesus See, Abraham didn't know the ins and the outs of God's plan. He didn't know the who, what, when, where, or whys. He simply trusted God and obeyed. He lived an open-hearted, open-handed life, surrendered to God. Abraham had faithfully followed and trusted God for years. He'd made God the number one priority over and over again. And God had fulfilled his promise to give him a son. But now Abraham had a decision to make. What would he love more? Was he willing to give up that which he loved most on this earth? He had a choice to make. Did he love the gift or the giver more? And this account in Genesis highlights a question that I think we need to ask ourselves. What is our Isaac? What is our Isaac? What is it that we think is our greatest blessing? It could be our achievements, our successes, our position, our portfolio. It could be our travel, our home, our finances, our children, our spouse, There are so many things that we can have in our life that make us feel comfortable, important, safe. But any one of them can become an idol in our life. Any one of them can become our number one. See, an idol is simply anything that is more important to us than God. Anything that we look to for purpose, value, or security. Where we look to as a source of satisfaction. Abraham loved Isaac. But he had to decide whether that love superseded his trust in God. Whether he could surrender his need for understanding in obedience. To be willing to do whatever it was that God had asked of him. Matthew 22 verses 37 to 38 said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. See, loving God with our all means holding nothing back from him. It's saying, whatever it is, wherever you ask me to go, whatever it is that you ask me to do, I will do. I am open. I am willing. Willing to yield to whatever direction you would give. That's what God's saying to Abraham. Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to prioritize me above all else? And that's the same determination we need to make in our own lives. We love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. It's living open-handed and open-hearted before him. But to do this, 
we have to first ask ourselves, is there anything I can't let go of? Is there anything I'm not willing to let go of? You know, uh, when I was in primary school, between uh, grade, about grade one to three, uh, there was this playground that they, uh, that they had in the main sort of playing area, and it was big, and it was like the best play. I, I, I know I'm kind of like hyping it up, but it was seriously an amazing playground. It was timber. It was like this fort. So it had um, these towers and this big bridge. And I used to pretend, uh, I'd hide in the tower part of the fort and I'd pretend to be a prisoner and I'd have to escape. Or there's this other game, which was uh, you'd pretend to be a puppy escaping the uh, the tin dog factory because they want to make all the puppies into into tin can dog food. I don't know why that was the game. It's a little bit gruesome when I think about it now, but when I was five, I'm like, this is the best game ever. So this playground was the setting for so many great times. And then one day I rock up to school and they've got caution tape all around the playground. And I'm like, what's happening? Why can't I get to the playground? And the teacher then tells us uh, that they're actually going to destroy the playground. They're knocking it down. The playground will be no more. And I was devastated. Like, that is an understatement. I would, every lunch break, go and sit as close as I could to the caution tape. We weren't allowed to get close. But I would go and I would sit and I would weep and I would look dramatically at the playground in the distance as tears rolled down my face, just thinking about the loss that I was experiencing. You know, I asked a bunch of other uh, seven-year-olds if they would want to come to the principal's office with me and, I don't know, like protest the playground getting knocked down, and they said no, so that didn't end up happening. And so I was really, really sad that this thing that I loved so much was going to go. And I'm quite a sentimental person. And so uh, one day I snuck a jar from home. I smuggled it in my bag. And, and uh, at, during class time, I went to the bathroom. And I actually went to the playground area. And I snuck under the caution tape. And I got my jar. And I scooped all this bark and chippings from where they'd started to destroy the playground. And I put it in the jar. And then I put it on my bedside table. And I, I kept it there to remind me of how much I loved this playground. Anyway, my mom came in and found the jar of dirt and was like, what is, what is this? And I said, you know, it's a reminder of all the good times. She's like, no, but why do you have it? And I was like, no, because they're knocking the playground down. And we found out maybe like two weeks later uh, that the reason they were knocking it down and the reason we weren't allowed to get close to it was because it was absolutely riddled with asbestos. And so I had this jar and my mum, you know, off the back of that decided that it would probably be best that it went in the bin. So, you know, sad story, sad ending. Um, but to me, that jar represented something that I loved. I absolutely loved it. I didn't want to lose the playground because there was a comfort that existed there. There was a comfort that I experienced on that playground. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends in school. And so the fun of the playground actually contrasted the loneliness that I would often experience at school. And so to lose that comfort was a devastating prospect. Sounds dramatic, but that's what it represented to me. I saw this playground as a source of comfort, but it was riddled with asbestos. I didn't know that. I couldn't see that. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why something that seemed so good would need to be taken away. 
And so I did whatever I could to hold on to whatever remnant I could gather so that I didn't lose that sense of comfort. And, you know, sometimes I think we can do the same thing when it comes to God. There are comforts and loves that we have. There are things that we value so much that we can hold so tightly. We can be so desperate to hold on to our comforts, not realizing that there's actually a reason why God has asked us to give them up, to let them go. See, God doesn't ask for our understanding, but he does ask for our obedience. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now, I think this is one of the most Instagrammable verses of all time. I can't count the number of times I've seen this pop up in my feed at some point. Um, it's usually found on, you know, nice little plaques that we use to decorate our houses and artworks in frames. It's a beautiful verse. It's so reassuring because it reminds us that God is trustworthy. And yet, it's so difficult because to trust in God is to let go of the need to understand. And that is often where some of our greatest battles lie, letting go of the need to understand. Trust overcomes our need for clarity. It overcomes our need for understanding. What we want so often is certainty, but what we need is trust. The writer and philosopher Voltaire, who um, admittedly was a critic of Christianity, uh, but he made a statement which I think was quite accurate. He said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favour ever since. See, it's much easier to hope that God will conform to our preferences and our comforts But the life of faith and the outworking of our relationship with Jesus is conforming to his likeness. But surrendering to God is yielding our life. It's yielding our thoughts and our actions and our decisions and our spirit to him. It's opening up that tight fist of control and placing trust in God instead of ourselves. It can be painful. Surrender can be so painful. But just like Pastor Jared preached last week, pain produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. When we make the difficult and the painful decision to surrender our all, it actually takes us to a deeper place of trust in God. And it's in that trust, it's through that trust that he's actually able to shape us and mold us. Because comfort will never make us Christ-like. Proverbs says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But sometimes we want the straight paths before we trust. Then we'll trust. But God says, first you must come to a place of full surrender, of fully loving with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And in that place of trust, There you will find the certainty of your steps. Jesus shared a parable with his disciples in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and bought that field. This parable, this man in this parable literally finds buried treasure. 
It's this unexpected discovery. He wasn't out seeking it. He wasn't looking for it. He's not going out of his way, just going about his day, likely working in the field. And he finds this incredible treasure. But I think it's his response to that, which is most astounding. He gives up everything he has for the sake of this treasure. He's found something so valuable, so significant, that it actually alters the course of his life. Everything else that he has dims in comparison. See, when the Spirit opens our eyes, when we have that beautiful revelation of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what he continues to do for us, when we have that revelation, things change, church. Our eyes are open to this beautiful truth, this treasure. But this parable, I don't think, is just about finding I think the main point that Jesus is making is in the second part of the parable when he says that in his joy, this man sold all he had. In his joy, he went out and sold all he had. Now we can focus on what it cost the man. We can interpret this as meaning that following Jesus comes with a significant cost. But I don't think that that's the main point The scripture says, in his joy, in his joy, the man gives up everything he has. He's giving up, there is a cost, but he's willing to pay it joyfully because he understands that he is ultimately gaining. He's ultimately gaining. The point that Jesus is making is not about what we're willing to give up to gain the kingdom, but rather that the kingdom is worth losing everything to gain it. The difference is the placement of value. There's no loss, only gain. And Paul speaks about this in Philippians. In Philippians 3 verses 7 to 8, he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now count, consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. This man gave up all that he had. And in amongst that, there would have been things that he loved. There would have been things that he treasured, that he valued, things that maybe he'd accumulated over time, things that were dear to him. But he gave it up gladly with joy because he knew that there's no loss, only gain. See, church, we pursue with joy that which we most value. And so the question that Jesus is really asking of us through this parable is what holds the most value in your life? What is it that holds the most value? Where is it that you find your value? Because what you hold to reveals what holds you. What you hold to reveals what holds you. The scriptures say where your treasure is. There the desires of your heart will also be. What we value and what we love and what we ultimately look to determines the course of our step, the direction of our life. And so this parable is challenging us to consider what it is that we place on the throne of our heart. If we want to experience the fullness of life with Christ, it will cost us. There is a cost. And that cost comes through surrender through surrendering to him, surrendering to the will of God, surrendering to him in all things. But 
When we're willing to die to self, we find that Christ is able to reign. And so it's through that surrender that we're actually able to declare the words of that song that we were singing earlier, that there is one name over everything, one name over everything that holds all authority, not one name over some things, not one name over the one area of my life that I'm willing to yield in, one name over everything, over all things, over fear, over death, over anxiety, over pain, over struggles, sickness, disease. There is one name that reigns above all else. He reigns yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so when we recognize his authority, when we recognize who he is, that he reigns, we can declare that he may also reign in our heart. That as it is above, so be below. That as he reigns over all creation, over all elements of life here on earth, he may reign within us as well. That we may move aside so that he can take his rightful position within us. And when we stand in that victory, we can find that we can declare that we can walk through all things, through all struggles, through all pain, that through fear, through death, through anxiety, through pain and through struggles, through sickness and disease, we will not be overcome. We will not be overcome because he reigns one name over everything. But it starts with surrendering our hearts to him. It starts through surrender. It's saying, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus surrendered on the cross so that we could find our surrender in him. To surrender all that we are to gain all that he is. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 to 19 says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I bow my knee knowing that I will be strengthened through his spirit. We can surrender knowing that we don't have to work it out in our own strength. We don't have to have it all worked because we are empowered through the strength of the Holy Spirit. And that's what gives us our spiritual confidence. Now, can I propose that perhaps Instead of searching for God's will for my life, I instead start seeking the Holy Spirit's leading. Now, you might be thinking, isn't that the same thing? Well, I don't think so. See, we can come to God and we can ask, what can I do in this situation? What should I do? Where should I go? Who should I marry? What choice should I make? And these are good questions to ask God. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes I think that what we hope for in this questioning is a clear and specific answer. That God's role in this relationship that we have with him is to give us answers. Like, you know, he's some kind of magic eight ball that, that will just spit out the answers to all our questions. But Galatians 5 verse 25 says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. We 
are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Spirit who has eyes to see. We have God within us. So faith is not blind. Faith is not senseless. Our spirit knows where it is going. Faith only feels blind and confusing when we're led by our soul, when we're led by our feelings and emotions. They don't know where they're going. But when we put our conviction and trust in the power of the Spirit, we can have full assurance that He knows where He's going. He knows where He's leading us and He will not fail us. Faith is not a feeling. It's a conviction in the goodness of God. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If I could have the team join me. To delight in the Lord is to simply find our complete satisfaction in him. It is a desire to know him more fully regardless of outcomes, regardless of where he may ask me to go, of what I may have to do, of what I might have to give up, regardless of the choices that I may need to make, to delight in the Lord is nothing more than desiring to know him fully, regardless of whether he's leading me in the way that I want, in the way that perhaps I had hoped towards the plans that I'd made or desired for myself, regardless of the outcome. I delight in him and him alone, not an outcome. And it's through delighting in him that we find our heart's desires given. It's not about him granting our every wish and whim. It's not like he's some kind of magic genie that gives us everything that we want. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not about him giving us our wishes that we're asking for. It's asking God to give us our desires by saying, God, I don't want to do things my way. I don't want my own outcomes. I don't want my own plans and dreams to succeed. I want what you want for my life. I want your will to be outworked in my life. And so God, I put, a, I put aside, I surrender my right to, to make these decisions, my right to, to have all the answers, and I instead yield in submission to your Spirit who's leading me, who I can trust, who will not let me down. It's saying, God, you know what? I die to myself so that you may reign. Our Spirit knows where it's going. We live by the Spirit and we're led by His Spirit. It's not granting every wish. God will give us the desires, bring our desires in alignment with his desires for our life. And that should be our greatest prayer. God, I don't, I'm not praying for an outcome. I'm not praying for things to go my way. I'm just praying to be led exactly where it is that you want me. Church, would you stand with me while we finish up? Surrender is full trust in God in God himself, in who he is, in his character, in who he is as a person. It's full trust in God, not in an outcome. It's alignment with his will for us. It's an ongoing moment by moment process of continually trusting him with our life over and over and over again. Surrender is not a one-time thing. There is surrender that will come up 
multiple times. It could be every day, every moment. There are so many times where we may find that we're holding on to things, things that maybe are starting to take priority in that number one spot in our heart. And when we recognize that, we've got the same choice to make. Well, what is it that I'm holding to? Do I love this thing more? This thing that I'm looking to, this thing that I'm holding to, is it more valuable to me than what it is that God is wanting to do in me? We have to live open-handed, open-hearted lives of surrender. And it can be painful. Surrender comes with a cost. And that cost can be painful as we start to work through what we need to let go of. But pain produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. And so we can trust what it is that He's doing within us, that work that He started, that He will bring through to completion. We We are called to conform to His likeness, to grow in His likeness. But that comes through yielding, through trusting, knowing that He's got you through it all. Surrender leads to a deeper understanding and revelation of who God is. And that revelation leads to a deeper understanding of who it is that we are called to be, of that identity that He's given to us. And ultimately, as we start to to walk in that and live out of that, we find freedom, the ultimate freedom. No more struggle, no more striving, trying to work everything out. And simply aligning with who He is His purposes for my life. That He would lead through the power of His Spirit. There's just a desire to know Him more. And so why don't we close our eyes this morning? And maybe you're here and and maybe as I've been talking this morning, there are things that you know that you're holding to. There are things that maybe you know have started to creep in and take that number one spot in your heart things that you know you're looking to for value, things that you've started to rely on. Maybe it's because you know what the outcome will be. Maybe it's because there's just a comfort in it. But right now, if you're willing, there's an opportunity here to give that back to God. To say, God, you know what? Nothing will supersede the position that you have in my heart that you will have the number one spot. And so if that is you this morning and you just want to take a moment with God to say, God, I give it back to you. I lay it down open-handed before you. I won't hold to it. I want to live open-handed, open-hearted. I want to just give you a moment to respond just between you and God. No one else is looking. If that's you, just pop your hand up. You can trust Him in all things, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There is never a point where He will let you down when you yield to Him. We may not always have the answers. We may not always have clarity, but we can have certainty in who He is through the assurance of His promise. You can know that you will never be let down. And so this morning, God, we just lift our hearts to You. And we lift our hands and we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for all that you have done and continue to do in and through us. And right now, we just ask that you would overwhelm our hearts with your strength and the assurance of knowing that you are by our side. 
of knowing that there's never a point where we walk alone, that there's never a point where we have to, to struggle or strive to figure out life in our own strength, but that we can continually come to you in surrender. That it's in surrender that we find freedom. It's through trusting you that we discover what it is that you have for us as you lead us into your perfect will. God, I pray that for every heart that has responded to you this morning, that you would just give them the strength to start to let go of those things, those things that have started to crowd in on their heart, the things that they've started to perhaps look to for value, that they would know that their ultimate value, their ultimate source of satisfaction is found in who you are and that we would all be reminded of that. We thank you for who you are. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you this morning, church. I hope you have a lovely rest of the week as we come towards our very last service. Uh, Yes, the last service for next, sort of, we've got Christmas, but you know what I'm saying. So we'll see you all next week. Have a great week.